Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. <laughs> It's Purple Daily. All right, welcome, welcome. This is Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, Judd Zolgad, Manny Hill. We are inside the Minnesota United's Brew Hall. Today, the grand opening of the Brew Hall and Team Store. Open to the public until 7 here at Allianz Field. A beautiful day and a beautiful stadium. This is my first time seeing it. Me too. In here, and oh my goodness, is it beautiful in here! So we'll be broadcasting Purple Daily, talking all Vikings here for the next hour, and then we'll have some Gopher talk coming up next hour. Score North Live. It's Fast and the Furious Friday, but we'll also have soccer stories with Jamie Watson's going to stop by Manny Lagos as well. So lots coming up here on the station today. And if you get a chance, just drop by Allianz Field and say hello. Judd is encouraged people to buy him beers but uh, absolutely only, only after you're on the air right judd well yeah but i'm thinking to myself so i'm going to be on with you from one to two then i'm going to be or from noon to one then i'm going to be on the golfer show from one to two then i'm going to be off the air for a while and then back on from four to six so there's a break there so i think i could start drinking around five. you got a window you'll have a window i think i could start to drink around five or so <laughs> so and be let, safe let's uh let's talk a little vikings here guys uh, the big move yesterday if you want to call it a big move was marcus Sherrill's signing elsewhere and if we could just take a moment to honor and appreciate Marcus Sherrills, as he leaves for the New Orleans Saints, I, I know that Minnesotans love a good Minnesotan, and they especially love an underdog story. And sometimes we roll our eyes a little bit at that. Like, when it's, oh, and I, I don't know, just pick a random guy, like Isaac Frickty. Like, oh, will he make the roster? And I picked him one time for Mr. Mankato. That didn't go so well. But Marcus Sherrills, a truly incredible story to have the career he had in the NFL or has had so far in the NFL and played a pretty darn valuable role for a long time for the Minnesota Vikings. And I feel like in this instance, the appreciation for Marcus Sherrills being a guy who walked on at the U and then became a Viking, it's totally deserved. He was great at his job. So he spent, what, nine years here? Yep. Nine years total, 2011-2018, yes. So I covered the entire uh, totality of Marcus Sherrill's Vikings career. And full disclosure, I think until about 2016 or so, every year in training camp, I said, this is going to be it. Yep. They're going to cut him. He just returns punts. And I knew that was important, but I always thought, you know what, if they have to play him at corner, it's a bit dicey, which it was at times. 
But I kept thinking, uh, this is going to be the year that they decided that they found a new phenom to return punts, and he's gone. And I think it was only in the last two or three years where I finally said, you know what? It's going to be surprising if he gets cut. So congratulations to him for essentially nine years sticking around to do one job. But as we all know, too, that one job, when not done well, can have devastating effects on your team. And, and I still recall the year that I was covering the Vikings under Brad Childress. And Bobby Wade was the punt return guy. And they liked Bobby Wade because, I swear to God, all he did was fair catch the ball. <laughs> but, but, yeah. but in their defense, guess what they said? Let's see, this guy can fair catch the ball, and our starting field position might not be ideal as we would like. But the flip side is, let's roll the dice, and Bobby Wade fumbles. And so Marcus Sherrill's, for the amount of quality returns that they got, the lack of fumbles, and the professionalism from a position that actually, to, to me, is incredibly hard, was quite the accomplishment. Well, he fumbled one time that he lost. So there were some that, you know, went through his arms and bounced off the turf or whatever, but only one lost fumble, and that came in 2013 for a guy that returned in total 231 punts and got five touchdowns, too, and he also acted as a kick returner. He played a handful of snaps even as recently as last year at cornerback, and I'm telling you, that even though we think of him as the in-case-of-emergency break glass for Marcus Sherrill's cornerback, he would play corner in training camp and look pretty good out there. Like, he was a good athlete and knew the defense, and he could go in there if you needed him to. That's something that's pretty rare. And uh, in that 2016 season, in the first couple of weeks, when we were saying, I'm not sure if this is going to continue when the Vikings are 5-0. and Part of it was that Marcus Sherrills was returning every punt for touchdown. Well, that <laughs> and, does help out. And he had five total uh, touchdown punt returns. He averaged almost 11 yards per punt return for his career. And I don't think people realize just how difficult that is. And I didn't myself until I saw them draft Rodney Adams to replace him. Yes. And then Rodney Adams had punts bouncing off of his face mask and his pads. I mean, it's an incredibly difficult job. I, 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 I go didn't... back to, sorry, Judd, I, I go back to, you guys remember the 2011 NFC Championship game, the mm-hmm. Giants and 49ers, and Kyle Williams yep. had Kenny to Kenny. step in to return punts because I think Ted Ginn was injured or something like mm-hmm. that, and he muffed two punts yeah. in that game that cost the 49ers yeah. a chance to go to the Super Bowl. I go back to one thing. If you, if you cannot appreciate how difficult it is to, uh, to return punts, or at least I didn't until when practice was in Mankato. And before practice w- would start, they would do the jugs machine and set up the punts. <laughs> yes. And so, so we could get really, really close. And to appreciate how the ball carries oh, yeah. and spirals. Now, now, kickoffs are end o- over end. So I'm not saying that that's easy, but you got way more time because, guys, it takes guys a-, a lot longer to get down on you. And catching it end over end to me looked feasible yeah when i saw the punt spiraling downward there is no chance on god's green earth that i could catch that that became uh, a debate one year at training camp between the reporters of how many punts would it take to catch just one and i'm sure many of them would have bounced off our faces and it would have been dangerous for the reporters to try it if actual nfl players can't catch them successfully and he was a good kick returner too 25 and a half yards per kick return now they re-signed amir abdullah maybe he'll be the guy to return the kicks and the punts i know he's done kicks before but i don't know if he's done punts or maybe that's mike hughes when he comes back 
back sure. their first round pick from last year. But I just thought we need to take a minute here. He was in our grittiest athlete bracket tournament to appreciate what Marcus Sherrill's uh, was able to do as a Minnesota Saints, so right? Good for him. Everyone goes to the Saints now. It's the Bridgewater Brigade. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about this, Judd, and I'm trying to figure out exactly how I want to formulate this take. Um, It's not so much the punt returner and the center slash guard leaving and Latavius Murray signing with the Saints, but Trevor Simeon kind of hit me a little bit that he would take about the same money for a place that costs more to live in New York than it does here to not be the backup for the Vikings. And now they have to find another backup quarterback as opposed to the guy who played for Gary Kubiak and would know him and then had a year with Kevin Stefanski as the quarterback coach. Like, is it interesting to you at all that Trevor Simeon decided he just didn't want to be here? Like, that, to me, that was a little interesting. To come back here. I mean, he's only, getting one, year, he's only getting one year $2 million to go there. My assessment of this team right now is, is I think there is a, it could be justified. There's a very different feeling on two sides of the football. I think the defensive guys are all in. I think they love their coach. I think they see that themselves as us against the world. Essentially, it might be cliche, but I think on, on the defensive side of the football, the Vikings are, are very much what you would want from a team. The offensive side of the ball, I'm not sure about, and it strikes me that there might be some fractures there. And I'm going to continue to harp on this until I see otherwise from the Vikings. I honestly believe that the Week 17 game against the Bears and the sideline meltdown between the quarterback and Thielen is instructive of where things stood with that offense at the end of the year. And I think if you're Simeon, you want to be involved in a, in a product and with an offensive group that you consider to be productive mm-hmm. and good, off the record, it would be very interesting for me to hear stories about what the, what the feeling is in the Vikings quarterback room right now. Well, I'd love to know. You know, Yesterday on the show, and people can check out the Score North Live feed for this, uh, we talked with Doug Farrar, who is an author of a book called The Genius of Desperation, where he studied a lot of the offense innovations and defensive two and sort of the responses to those and just the history of the NFL. And so we talked to him about the Shanahan and Kubiak offense, and he was talking about how at the end of Kubiak's time in Denver, it got a little bit predictable. Now, maybe with Kevin Stefanski there, that's enough to counteract that, but the Kubiak offense had been run for so long that Richard Sherman told Doug Farrar, who told us this, that it was so predictable that their secondary in Seattle knew what was coming a lot of times. When they saw one route, they knew another route was going to go along with it. And that doesn't mean that this won't work out because Kubiak has such a long history of success uh, with offenses. Even if they knew it was coming, a lot of it just works anyway. But I do wonder, with Trevor Simeon deciding not to stick around, deciding to go, what he would think of how that's going to work out, how he wants to interact with that offense again, or how he wants to interact with Kirk Cousins again. And coming from, from Denver, too. Right. So, so he, he would knows. Know it. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, just, it, it, it goes under the category of makes you wonder. It doesn't go under the category of I'm certain about this, but just it makes you wonder when the defensive guys are taking less and the offensive yeah. guys are leaving. It seems fractured. It does. But, I could, but, but I'll stop you there and, and say, say when, when you say it makes you wonder, to me, that's the entire philosophy 
of recent weeks and months to me. Yep. That goes beyond. I, I told you this a couple days ago, Collar. I don't necessarily, I can't sit here and even hypothesize to you what this team is doing right, right now. This is not one where I'm saying to myself, okay, this doesn't make sense right now, but I think it's going to come around and make sense. It's very difficult for me to look at the approach that this team is taking right now and give you a synopsis that says, because I think it's going to end up here. To me, it seems fractured. It seems disjointed. And and when Barr comes back and you still keep Griffin, and there are still guys out there who, who you say, okay, if they're going to be there, it makes sense to at least approach them about redoing their contracts, and you don't do that? You tell me. Do you think that it would make a difference that – the meltdown with Thielen at the end of the year happened kind of in front of everybody on the cameras. Everybody no, saw it. Do you zero. Think it, but do you think it would no. matter to anybody who wanted to come here? No. Like guys, a wide receiver? No, because guys talk. No, and, and I think the meltdown, the meltdown was, as much as this might bother Vikings fans to hear, I think the meltdown was instructive of what was going on privately. Yeah. And so I think we got... We got the dirty laundry of that family aired on TV in front of us, and we're all like, ooh, that means something. But as far as, as internally and, and guys potentially coming here, you know as well as I do, athletes now talk constantly. And so, so if I call Stefan Diggs and we're friends, I don't think he's going to lie. I think he's probably going to say, yeah, you know what, we can be successful here, but there's this and, and that. So, so no. The only thing I think that the meltdown on TV during that Bears game did was it gave us a window into what was going on. And I can look at that then and say, this at least tells me about things that are probably going to be or potentially could be foreseen as a problem going into 2019. Well, and that's what I'm wondering about is just when it comes to this offense and how poorly it performed last year, 19th in scoring. And when you look at the situation, they don't have a lot of money. They haven't been able to bring in premium free agents on the offensive line and they haven't bring in, uh, brought in any other weapons outside of Amir Abdullah and then they've had guys leave and want to seem to land in New Orleans and maybe that's just a coincidence but uh, I, I can't help but wonder if there is a connection there and if the reason that they haven't brought in any other weapons is because it looks like a bit of a bad situation potentially with two really good receivers already and a good tight end like if you're another wide receiver are you going to get the football for one but also are you going to get yelled at on the sideline i think would be a question and you know doogie and i were talking about this he heard from one free agent wide receiver that he didn't want to play with cousins when, when, he, when he reached out. And, and that was really interesting to me. That, I buy that completely. That there was a player that Doogie said he heard did not want to come to Minnesota because he, he just didn't want to play with Kirk Cousins. And, and that, I think, maybe says a lot about where this offense is. And that brings me to who's going to change it. I mean, is it Kevin Stefanski? Is it Gary well, they're Kubiak? they're hoping Gary Kubiak well. I mean, who's the leader? Because I'm not you know, buying, And by the way, though, are you buying for a second? This whole Stefanski thing, and I get it. I get he's got the title. And I like him personally. I think he's a, a good guy. But are you buying for a second? This is Gary Kubiak's offense. Like, this is Stefanski's going to play a key role schematically. I'm not saying he's not. But to answer your question, I think if you're going to have a person who is going to change the perception and, and the feeling of that offensive room, it's Kubiak. Now, I did think, while not 
maybe completely shots across the bow. I did think Easton's comments after signing with the Saints were instructive. Unreal quarterback room. Un- interesting. Yeah. So, so to me, those comments, I don't think that he was attacking Kirk Cousins. No, all right? I don't think so either. But I do think that if you are a fan of this team, but you, but you want to be a little bit able to take a step back and say, all right, what's the reality? What we're seeing now and comments at least tell you something. And, and if you ignore them and are like, oh, Nick Easton sucks, he was no good, you're missing the bigger picture yeah. here. And, and, and so your point about Kubiak, I mean, I think that he's the guy that is going to be looked at to sort of calm everything down, keep that wall up between Mike Zimmer and the offense, and Kevin Stefanski is going to call the plays, so that's going to be him. And, and I believe them that they're going to be working together to formulate this offense, but it's almost like they needed to bring in an OG to sort of oversee everyone. A dad, a dad basically. Like, right, like He's you, the father of the in offense. In a way, yes, because... It, like if you've got a ladder climber in John D. Filippo versus the ego of Kirk Cousins and how he wants to micromanage everybody around him on the offense, it just it just was set up to butt heads that way. And now you have a guy who's much more in Gary Kubiak. Like, look, I've been there, I've seen all of this stuff before, so I'm the one that everybody can bring their problems to, as opposed to just infighting, which I think was happening a lot last year. How much of actual like game planning during the week do you think Gary Kubiak will be involved with or is it just going to be more of Oh, I think it's going to be a ton. Things and, I think it's going to be a ton. So he's going to be game I think he setting is, up the game plan I, and then Stefanski's going to go execute it. I honestly believe that it is not over the top to say this team essentially has two head coaches. Mm-hmm. And I think Kubiak's going to put in as much time offensively sweating and trying to poke and prod and work with Stefanski on schematics as Mike does. This to me though is an acknowledgement, and this, and and I am not implying that this man should be fired. This is an acknowledgement, though, that they have figured out if if it is a Zimmer weakness, you can't put it on his plate. Yep. If something goes wrong defensively, Mike will melt down. But what will Mike do? He'll solve it. So like Mike might get really really mad at the defense, but he'll solve the problem because he can. If something goes wrong, special team wise or offensively, Mike melts down, and guess what? Mike can't do. He can't solve it. So this is an acknowledgement that they need to get people on every side of the football that if Mike's going to melt down, can come to Mike and say, Mike, don't worry about it. I'll fix it. You are listening, I really believe uh, that. You're listening to Purple Daily here. Matthew Collar, Judd Zelgad, Manny Hill. We are broadcasting from Allianz Field all day here on the shows. Uh, Score North Live coming up at 2. We'll have Gopher Basketball Talk next. If you're wondering what's going on in your bracket, well, Cincinnati right now, the 7th seed, is leading by 5 at halftime over Iowa, 36-31. to 31. Oklahoma up 44-24 to 24 over Ole Miss. Um, so uh, maybe an upset special there. And those are the two games that are going on right now. Later on, 6 o'clock is when Duke plays, if you want to see Zion Williamson. Um, and by the way, we are here. The reason we are here from Allianz Field is because of the grand opening of the Minnesota United's Brew Hall, which is where we are, and the team store as well. It'll be open to the public until 7 p.m. We've got televisions with all sorts of things on here, March Madness going on, and uh, so make sure to come here, check out their big selection of tap beers and food items and so forth. So we will take a quick break. Because we have a backup quarterback bracket going on on our Twitter, at Score North, we are bringing on a guy who has a really good chance to win it next, Gus Farratt.
will join us. We will talk to the former Viking when we come back. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. It's on so many minds. It's so needed. Let it be said. Take, 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 take me, take me, take me, take me, take me, take me out to the ball game. It's back. Take me out with the crowd. Opening day, March 28th for Twins Baseball. It starts with a free ballpark breakfast, 6 to 9 a.m. along 7th Street at Target Field. The Twins play Cleveland at 310. The first 30,000 fans through the gates receive a Twins puffer vest, courtesy of your Northland Ford dealers. Get your opening day tickets at twinsbaseball.com. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. All right, welcome back into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, Manny Hill here as well. Joining us on the line, he is doing well in the backup quarterback, Vikings backup quarterback bracket, Gus Farratt. Hi, Gus. How are you? I'm doing good, guys. How's it up in Minnesota today? Uh, you know what? It's beautiful. We've, we've got to that point where winter has broken, and now everyone is coming out. And I saw a dude jogging with like no shirt the other day, and it's 38 degrees. So we have gotten to that point, Gus. It's great. It's fantastic. Well, that's good, because it's snowing in Pittsburgh today. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, someone has worse weather than us. That's really great. Well, Pittsburgh, uh, as you know, Gus, is one of my favorite places in the entire world so i'm sure you'll be okay this summer when you can go to that pirate stadium and everything uh the reason that i I wanted to have you on other than just the backup quarterback bracket is i I just wanted to talk a little quarterback play with you gus and you know i saw a really interesting story about how brian hoyer had helped the new england patriots in the super bowl because he did such a great job of emulating the rams offense and i mean i feel like we're deep in the weeds there with something but i'd love for you to tell me about how that works with backup quarterbacks and what the weekly duties are to help your defense and help your team win a game like that. Because I was kind of blown away by how much Brian Hoyer meant to the Patriots. Uh, a lot of the issues, when you get older, you can kind of speak your piece with the defensive coordinators. But a lot, what, what happens a lot of times is these co- coordinators go in and draw their own plays. Oh, this is what it looks like on film, right? So we're just going to draw that. And the problem you have with that is that's really not what it is, and it's not the language they use. So uh, our jobs as quarterbacks, if you've been in that system that you're playing against, you can go to that coordinator and say, here's what they call it, here's the terminology they use, and here's how they run the routes, and here's what the quarterback's going to look at. And so then you can go emulate that and practice for them if you have the right language. Now, what happens a lot of times is the coordinators say, I don't really care, and <laughs> let's just go run whatever it looks like on film. And they circle a guy, and they tell the young quarterback to throw it to this guy. And that's all good and well, and you get some practice out of it, but it's not game-like at all. And uh, I always learned this from Daryl Green my rookie season. was um, I was being the quarterback that's running the scout team. He sure and John Freeze were the starters, and I'm just happy to be there. And uh, Daryl Green comes up to me and goes, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean, Daryl? And he goes, well, why are you just throwing it to the circle guy? And I said, well, that's what the coaches told me to do. He goes, got to stop and think about it. It's not making me any better, and it's not making you any better. Hmm. He, he said, I really want you to go in there and, um, and, and play it like a game. And that's the only way you're going to get better, and that's the only way you can show them that you can go out and play in a real game. And so that's what I did from that point on, and Daryl always had my back, and so it was good. Gus, was the way that uh, you approached 
becoming sort of a starter there in Washington and then transitioning kind of to a backup uh, as you went forward in your career. Was that was that tough for you or because you were a, a seventh round draft pick where you kind of just like, hey, I'm in the NFL, man. How many seventh round draft picks are in the NFL? I'm just going to take this role and run with it because then that kind of benefited you as you went along and you became a starter again later in your career. Yeah, I was kind of off off and on again, you know, throughout my whole career of playing and not playing. And I probably could have just stayed in one spot, been a backup, and been very happy with that. But the competitive part of me wanted to just go out and continue to try and be a starter. So I left some teams as a backup to go and try and be a starter at a different place. Um, and sometimes it worked out, sometimes it didn't. But, uh, you know, I played, ended up playing 15 years in the NFL. And whatever that journey was for me and all those different transitions that I had to go through, uh, got me to where I am today and was able to let me play 15 years and in a sport that, you know, not a lot of people get to enjoy. And so uh, I really enjoyed it and just going through that my whole career, you know, going to college and then having a guy in front of me start and then he gets hurt. Then I got to start. I'm not ready, but I do it and, and it ends up being pretty good. Then he comes back the next year and starts after a medical red shirt. So I got to sit out a year and I, I say, okay, well, I'm going to try punting and I end up being the punter for the year. So, there's a lot of transitions that, that happen in a person's life, and you can either let them bring you down or you can take advantage of them and, and try to move on to get better. Gus, that's fascinating that you actually did some punting, too. That's that's outstanding. I always think of punters that were quarterbacks, too. I think of, like, Tom Tupa. Tom Tupa, man. Yeah, and, I mean, Randall Cunningham, I mean, had a, what was it, what was it a 90-yard <laughs> yeah, or 70-yard punt or something like that, punt, that he yeah. had? That's fantastic. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, – 2003, your first stint with the Vikings, and I remember, I think it was a game at Detroit where Dante got hurt, and you had to come in, and then you ended up starting the next game against San Francisco at the Metrodome. Take me through that, sort of that transition of being a backup, and then all of a sudden the starter gets injured, you have to come into the game, and then then you have to prepare yourself as a starter the next week. Well, going back to the beginning of the conversation, that's where taking your role as a um, scout team quarterback is so is so serious, right? Because you never know when your number is going to be called. And we see it week in and week out that the backups come in and they can't perform. And you have to simulate as much of a game as you can in practice so that you are ready to go in a game. I never had an issue about warming up my arm or being ready to play. That wasn't, you know. Those aren't things that I ever had a problem with, and that's what let me be a good backup, is that, I, hey, I'm standing around all game. Who cares? Let's go in and throw the ball down and throw as much as we can. And that kind of happened in that Detroit game. Uh, I think Randy actually had a bad bat that game, and, um, you know, he's still Randy, and he just comes in the huddle and says, look, I'm going to beat the safety. They're playing too high. Just throw it up. First time in, I don't throw it to him. I check it down to the back, and he goes, what do you think you're doing? Throw it up to me. And so – you know, Coach Linehan's calling a play, and I didn't didn't matter what the play was. I told Randy, "All right, let's do it." And then he just runs right by the safety. We throw it up. Uh, he gets tackled. He's not himself. So he gets tackled on like the two yard line, and then we end up uh, trying to throw him a fade down there. Um, but you know, that's how things happen. You have to be ready mentally and physically through the week because that's your time. That's your game time. Every day you go out for practice, and when the team and the coaches don't see that same way, then when a quarterback gets hurt and the backup has to come in and can't perform, and they're saying, well, why can't he perform? And there's there's probably a lot of reasons why. 
because not because of the guy's talent, because he's not prepared. We're talking with uh, Gus Farratt. He is right now leading Sean Salisbury in our Vikings backup quarterback bracket. 66% of the votes going toward you, Gus. Uh, we tried to get Sean Salisbury, but we had to go through his publicist, which was kind of hilarious. Like, Gus Farratt doesn't have a publicist, man. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't. I guess I'm not like, I, I live in Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, <laughs> publicist in Pittsburgh, there's something wrong with you. So, uh, <laughs> You know, you're not going to be able to go down to the local bar and have a beer with anybody if you have a publicist. So, <laughs> no, but Sean's a great guy, and, and uh, you know, it's it's just how it is. And, and we all lead different paths, and, and our, our careers take us in different ways. And, uh, you know, it's funny because I'm starting my own show, actually. It's called Huddle Up with Gus here in town, and we're talking about how sports shapes people lives. And uh, it's really interesting, and I'm excited to start it. But, uh, you know, it. it what all my experiences, I want to share them with people because uh, there's you never know when there's a little kid out there who has a big dream and and wants to go do the same thing and and you got to be able to tell them he can do it. Well, and Gus, I I just think I mean in general the reason that we wanted to do this was to honor some of the great backup quarterbacks and our buddy Sage Rosenfels comes on all the time. You know him. He uh, has great stories because he played for a lot of teams and he also knows an incredible amount of football because he played for so many different teams, so many different offenses. So it's it's great. I think that the the journeymans have the best stories. Um, did you know that over the last three years of your career, from age uh, well, I guess four from two thousand five to two thousand eight. You went 18 and 11 as a starter at the later age, which I think is kind of kind of crazy. But I don't know if it was that you had uh, just gotten into some better situations or you had learned so much along the way. But wh- why do you think that was that uh, later in your career was when you had a lot of success? Well, I think it's a couple things that uh, you know you can look back early and on, and I had to learn multiple offenses just like Dave did. I mean, I went from the digit system with North Turner to um, the West Coast system with Mike Shanahan and, and in and out and all through the different kind of systems. And people had hybrids and all those. And so I think just learning those different systems um, lets you go into any situation and understand it, right? When I came back in 08 with the Vikings and, and uh, Brad Childress's offense and, and, and Daryl Bevel, you know, kind of knew all that, right? You're not going to show me anything new. They had different ways of calling things, but you have to learn um, that from them. But other than that, you know, I think it's just age. It's just saying, hey, look, you know, I have confidence in myself. I can do, I can make any throw out here. You still have a strong arm, and, and that's what helps you uh, get through those situations. And then as you mature, you're like, okay, look, I've been cut. I've been, I've uh, left the team, however you want to say it. The contract has run out. So you're not going to do anything to me that hasn't been done. I'm just <laughs> going to go out here and play the game that I love and enjoy it and have a lot of fun. And I think that leads to a lot of wins. And when you see quarterbacks out there that play with a lot of confidence like that, uh, they usually tend to win more games than they lose. Well, that's awesome, Gus. And uh, I'm I'm happy for you that you're that you're doing your own show. Do you have a thought on uh, the Vikings and just where they're at right now with Kirk Cousins? I you know I I know a lot of quarterbacks, former quarterbacks, who like Kirk Cousins because of how well he can just execute an offense as a pure passer. And he's one of those guys that had to start out as a backup and kind of battle his way through, and his team didn't buy into him, and he he kind of had to fight through it. Is that how you see Cousins? Yeah, I think he's doing a great job. I mean, obviously, Kurt's a, you know, a high completion guy. Um, he's going to move the ball and, you know, he's, he's a guy that's just going to do all the right things for the team. 
Um, and I, I think one of the things that, that he never got the chance to do at the Redskins was put those guys around him that's going to let him be that super successful and win games. Uh, and, you know, the Vikings have a great defense, and that's all, that always helps. That he, get him the ball back. He's going to keep the ball uh, on the offensive side as long as he can. He's going to let that defense get a rest, and then he's going to do things that's going to help you win the games. I think last year was just a learning experience of him going to a new team, learning that, how to do that transition. I think this year I expect uh, a lot more out of him. I think he's going to be better. He's going to have a full year under his belt. Learning the system, um, and you now with Gary Kubia coming in and, and Kevin still being the OC, I think that he's going to have a, a full year under his belt. He's going to do much better things, and, and I look forward to watching him and uh, the Vikings winning many, many games. Well, Gus, it looks like you're going to move on in this tournament, so uh, we will let you know if you are the winner of the backup quarterback tournament and if you beat Sean Salisbury. You've got the big lead right now, but just like in the NCAA tournament, you don't want to take anything for granted, so people should go to our Twitter at Score North and continue to vote for Gus. Well, I appreciate all your time, and hey, Gus, if you're ever looking for like some better weather, feel free to come on by, and you're always welcome to come visit. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I... I really I'm tired of the snow. Probably not as tired of the snow as you guys are, but uh, I'm ready for spring and and to try, at least try to get my handicap down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, underrated Pennsylvania for golf courses. A lot of great courses there. So a lot uh, of great courses here. Gus Farratt, thanks a lot, man. Thanks for coming by. Always great to talk to you. Hope we can do it again soon. Yeah, definitely. Call me anytime. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back here on Purple Day. Calm. Minnesota sports. This is home. Score North. Minnesota sports. Anytime, anywhere. Scorenorth.com. And the show is Purple Daily. Zolgad, Collar, Manny Hill. We're at uh, live all day Allianz Field. Grand opening where we are right now of uh, the brew hall here and also the team store today. By the way... Stop on down. Open to the public until 7 p.m. tonight, so check it out. We are in the brew hall right now, and I count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about 10 TVs. So I'm set here. I'm just fine here. I'm just getting hungry. I'm seeing all, well, all get something. You got a menu right there. Yeah, I know. You got a menu right there. So we are here. Uh, we're, we're doing uh, Purple Daily until 1 o'clock today. Then we're going to have a gopher, a basketball-related show, a special from uh, 1 to 2, and then Score North Live with Matthew Collar from 2 to 4. And uh, Mackie and Judd without Rami today from 4 to 6 to conclude the programming here. And if you are wondering what is going on with your bracket, Cincinnati right now is leading Iowa 47-42, and Oklahoma is starting to run away from Ole Miss 50-33. Ooh, interesting, interesting. I have a, a National Football League-related back-to-the-Vikings question for you, Matthew Collar. Okay. NFC North. Rami and I talked about this on the Monday show, I believe, and uh, Bleacher Report is ranking the the so far because it's not done yet. Free agency winners, okay, and one is Cleveland, of course, perfectly un- understandable. Uh, two and three though were very intriguing to me because two was the Packers, three was Detroit, and Detroit's Detroit. So I'm waiting to see there. I do yep. think that, I do think that the Packers are improved. But as you look at this division right now, Chicago, the defending division champion going into 2019, the Packers changing coaches, improvements there, and potentially Detroit as well. As we sit here right now pre-draft, how do you um, surmise things in this division compared to 
two weeks ago before the free agency period started. So the thing that's very difficult to figure out here, because if we're just talking about rosters, I think that Green Bay's roster got way better on defense when they made the two signings, when they got Preston Smith is a, a really good player, but Zadarius Smith is a beast. I, I, I was watching a little bit of Zadarius Smith play against Josh Klein, and let me tell you, advantage Zadarius Smith. This guy is one of the best unknown players you, in the NFL. You six sadistic SOB. I, I know. I, you couldn't, you couldn't I, have watched him play against somebody other than the newcomer uh, on the Vikings? I, I know. I, well, I just stumbled across it because I was watching a game of last year, Josh Klein against the Ravens. and This is yeah. what I love about so, you. You well, just stumbled across. Those two, yeah, I know. The, those two signings for them on defense, plus year two of their scheme, I think is important. But what I don't know is just how much better their offense is going to get on scheme alone because the Packers haven't really added anyone in terms of weapons, and they lost Randall Cobb. Are they going to run Jimmy Graham out there again? I'm actually surprised that he's still on their team right now. I I thought that they would have got rid of Jimmy Graham, brought somebody in who can catch the ball, but that leaves them open to draft DK Metcalf or leaves them open to draft TJ Hawkinson. So I think that the story is not quite written, and I can't really figure out how much better Matt LaFleur is going to be as the Packers head coach than Mike McCarthy. That's what's tough for me in picking the Packers. I think that Chicago should drift back a little bit because their defense scored a ton of points last year. Anytime that happens, you can usually expect a team to get fewer turnovers the next year, score fewer points on defense the next year. I'm not really a big buyer in the Bears. The Lions, again, are a wild card. They're going to have a new offensive coordinator. I think their defense got way better, though. And the one thing that is with them, Matt Patricia may be a very bad leader for the Detroit Lions, but... He is the one that came up with the defensive game plan that ultimately Bill Belichick copied in the Super Bowl against the Rams. So Patricia may have some skill as a defensive mind. He just had no talent last year, and they've added Trey Flowers. They added the cornerback, Justin Coleman. Like This division should be really difficult next year, and you could see it being all bunched up again where the winner is 10-6 and six and the team who's in last place is 7-9. and nine. Uh, where you have a bunch of teams who are, are pretty good. So I guess that's not really answering the question entirely, but I think it's a great conversation um, of which team you would even pick, whether it's the Bears to repeat, the Packers to bounce back, or the Vikings to bounce back. I don't think the Bears do. I, I think the Bears are still good. I firmly expect, though, and, and th- this is going to depend largely on Trubisky's progress or lack thereof, the Packers intrigue me because of this. It's not, is LaFleur going to be great? It's the fact he's not Mike McCarthy. And if Rodgers stays healthy, I think there's going to be a... All things must pass, right? So all things come to an end eventually. And I think that there was a time where Mike McCarthy for Rodgers was a very good coach. I think that time passed. I think they got tired of, of each other. I think McCarthy's game plans might have started to suffer. So... The curiosity that I have about the Packers' offense is not that it's going to be this new, innovative, great offense necessarily. It's that how much is that coaching change going to reinvigorate the quarterback, who when he's good, as we know, can be absolutely great. Yeah, and uh, the other thing is, are they going to be able to run the ball as well as they did last year, the Packers, because surprisingly they were one of the league's best running attacks last season. I don't think you would have expected that, but they were at the top of the league in yards per attempt. So can they do that even more effectively, use that for some play action? And then 
still who is Rodgers getting the ball to. So there's a lot of really good questions here. But I think if I was to pick it just right now, before the draft, because I'm always hesitant, Judd, to change anything after the draft because you just never know which rookie's going to step in and do something and which isn't. I mean, Stephon Diggs in 2000. 15 was a rookie fifth round draft pick and ended up with 53 catches after not even starting the season with the team so sometimes a rookie comes out of nowhere it is great and other times you expect a first round draft pick is going to step in and be excellent and i have no, <coughs> I have no idea what in, you're talking about in 2016 never great, seen that here great example they of all that. worked out that uh, Laquan Treadwell wasn't even active for most of the season in 2016 after being the 18th overall pick. So if we were just picking it right now, I think I'd take Green Bay to win the division and the Vikings to be next and the Bears even to slip out and maybe even miss the playoffs. But, you know, as we go for division matchups, my concern here, Judd, is when I watched the new lineman that the Vikings got, Josh Klein, he cannot handle power. And Akeem Hicks has all power in the middle of the Chicago Bears defense. And Kenny Clark has all power in the middle of the Packers defense. And and Snacks Harrison for Detroit, like they're going to be up against a really, really big task in the NFC North. And that's where you wonder, are those defensive linemen just going to ruin game plans again? Because this offensive line is going to be essentially the same. Josh Klein is like a clone of Nick Easton. They're literally the same height and same weight. And I think Easton's a little better in space. So, like, you probably don't have as good of an offensive line as you did two years ago in 2017, which was just average. And you probably have something similar to what you had last year going up against these teams. It's just going to be tough for the Vikings. Did they run in Tennessee? Did they run a similar blocking scheme to what we were going to see for the Vikings now? Yes, yes, they did. And that's the one thing about Klein, I'm sure, is why they wanted him. Because Mm -hmm. they ran the zone scheme and he is quick and mobile and those things that nick easton was i just don't know if he's quite as savvy as easton like when i talked to linval joseph about easton he said that not only is he like smart and can hit people in space which is a really tough thing to do when you have safety standing out there like trying to tackle your your receivers like are you going to be able to actually get to them because they're so quick and they can dodge you and make tackles and stuff like that I didn't see a lot of great plays from that with Klein, so I Just don't know if clear the on, screen game's coming back like it was with Easton. To be clear on, on Klein's play, he had some productive seasons, correct? It's been a recent drop-off, and I'm not trying to say he's going to Canton, but he was a productive player for a period of time or, or not a train wreck, I guess. That's the best I would do. Yeah. And then he fell off badly in 2018. Is that a correct summary? Yes. I mean, his pro football fo- focus scores were never good. They were really about average at best. Yeah. And his run blocking has gone down almost every year by the PFF score. But when I watched it, his biggest problem last year was, I think, just that the defensive linemen he faced were really good, and he struggled against them. And that's going to happen again this year. I was going to say, in this division, that's not going to... As you just said, that's not going to improve. Right. No, that's not going to change. He's not going to get a drop-off of the right. guys he goes against. Because I watched him against Fletcher Cox, and it was a bloodbath. Like, I mean, and Fletcher Cox usually is for everybody who he faces. But, I mean, Klein had basically no chance. And my concern there is that Marcus Mariota, when I was watching these games, is quick with his feet. And I was actually impressed with a lot of things Mariota did last year. And it got a lot of pressure up the middle. And he was able to move outside and still make plays. Kirk Cousins doesn't do that. So, I, you know, when I looked at the two linemen from Tennessee who was a free agent, I would have preferred Quentin Spain over Josh Klein. 
based on how well they pass block and just how big they are. Like, Spain is 330 pounds, and he could just sit in and hit guys and kind of stick them right but there. But this is going to sound, sound silly, but that's the player that Filippo wanted, correct? Yeah. Or needed? Yep. I think this so. This now yes. is going to be predicated on on more of a pulling scheme where, yes. where yes. your guys get out athletically and move. I mean, whether you're talking about Klein or the guy that they're bringing in for a visit from Jacksonville – you're probably just not getting any kind of upgrade from last year or any serious upgrade. And how like, can you? Right. I mean, for, that salary, for what they've got cap wise, you can. Right. Exactly. And so I, I think you're still looking at an offensive line that's going to be well below average unless you have huge steps from Brian O'Neill and, and Pat Elfline. And I guess what, where that always ends up with us is I, I bring it back to Kirk Cousins. In, can, I mean, can scheme do enough? to make up for the shortcomings with talent. I'm not sure when it's this short, unless we see these big jumps from Elfline and from Brian O'Neill, they are very short on talent. So now what can you ask of Kirk Cousins to make up for some of that? And when he had to last year, he wasn't able to do it. And I'm trying to get myself to a place where I think they can have an average offense, but that's about as high as I could go. Now, can Josh Klein, can he play both guard positions? Can he play center at all? I mean, if, Something happens with Elfline. What's the plan going to be at center? I mean, is there? He's a right guard, right? Yeah, have... he's a right guard. Okay. Yeah, he's only going to play right guard, and he brought that up uh, on our conference call with him. And I, I wrote a little bit about just him being a scheme fit, and yeah, I, I mean, he definitely is for what they want to do. It's just well, we need to. I, I think we need to accept fully right now and embrace the fact that the collar plan is not going to be no, embraced in Egan in any way, shape, or form. So here's a good question, though, when as it pertains to this team, it's like so we've talked so much about the offensive line, and now it's sort of coming together with an actual signing in Josh Klein, and they're bringing somebody else in uh, as a visit and, and so forth, but it's bottom-of-the-barrel type of guys or guys who were reserves that they're hoping to find the next Joe Berger. The question is, like, what is our next conversation beyond this? Like, are we going to be talking about just the offensive line all year long? Because I, I got a tweet from somebody yesterday, and I totally understand this, of just having, like, O-line exhaustion. Oh, I get and, that. And, yeah. and I totally I get it. And his question was a good one. Um, the guy on Twitter asked, basically, like, is there some plan that the Vikings have that we don't know about yet that we're going to be surprised as we go forward here, like, is there a Trey Wayans trade? Is there a trade up in the draft to select Jonah Williams to really change the shape of this offensive line? Like, did they go into the offseason thinking, no, we'll be able to sign Roger Saffold or Jawan James because Barr won't come back. But then Barr did come back, and that threw everything right, but for they, a loop. But then they accepted Barr back as well, and I'm not saying that that's a mistake, but that was their decision when, when he basically called and said, I'm puking at my hotel, take me back. <laughs> and then and then they also said, okay, Barr's back. Now, instead of we're going to uh, cut Griffin and free up all of that cap room, we're going to re-sign him. And this is where I come back to being confused by what they're doing because I don't recall the last time that this franchise went into an off-season with what I presume to be their plan and abandon it. And there's no question, it's abandoned. Like, Barr coming back was not part of the plan. They did not say, yeah. and, and if you think about Rick and Rob and how Spielman and Brzezinski lay things out, ordinarily, you can do the math. Yeah. And, and there's also a, a, a backup plan. There, there's a plan B. 
But Barr coming back through the whole thing to me into some form of cap disarray. Then Griffin comes back, which I really don't get. They don't go to Kyle and restructure. So the only thing I can think of now to the tweet that you got yesterday, Matthew, is that there maybe is some type of draft week plan Mm -hmm. where you do trade Waynes and you trade Waynes and you move up and take a tackle, and that's where Reef moves to guard. But at this point, I'm spitballing. I'm spit- I am not saying I think this is what they're going to do. It's just basically my guess about how do, you, how do you fix something that has to be addressed, and you can't just sign one guy who played for the Titans last year and be like, okay, that's going to do it. Yeah, I, I'm wondering I just about what we're going to be analyzing all year long. If Kirk Cousins is still the same player, and I've done it a few times, but when I, I go through his pro football focus grades just judging his throws – they're all about the same for every year. He's going to be the right. This is not changing. He's going to be the exact same player. He's going to be the exact same guy with the same shortcomings. Now this year we were judging him on a different scale or through a little bit of a different lens because he was with a new team for the first time instead of being in excuse me in Washington. Now he's in Minnesota, so he's got these new receivers yep. and a new situation and a defense that gives him the ball. So okay, let's take a look at him with a new team. And it was exactly the same as it's always been, right down to the record. I mean, to the number of yards he throws for, to the touchdowns, everything else was basically on par. So you know exactly what you have with this quarterback. And now, where we go from here? I mean, are we going to be talking about someone else emerging, a surprise draft pick, a a surprise receiver that they pick instead of an offensive lineman? Or, you know, I... Draft week-wise, if this was you, what well, would you do? See, this is tough because there's a few different ways that I would go. Someone brought up to me on Twitter, like, hey, the Josh Rosen conversation's been pretty dead, but, you know, Kyler Murray met with Arizona. Yeah. And if it's me, I'm trying to trade for Josh Rosen the moment that they draft Kyler Murray, and I think they will with the first overall pick. And I would start thinking just toward the future. How am I going to build toward three years? Still try to win now. I'm not tanking, of right. course, but like I'm still trying to win this year. But I'm also thinking, okay, what is it down the road that we're going to need too? Not just what we need right now. Right. So that might be an edge rusher. I mean, that might. Be, I might just pick the best player. It might be a safety because Harrison Smith. But here's the potential flaw there, Spielman. Last year of his exactly. contract. Yep. So is he really going? Is yep. he really no, going to say? Unless they come to him and say, "Rick, here's five years." Is Rick really going to say, "You know, darn it, I'm going to worry about 2022." So those are yeah. the those are the two plans. Is it? Do you think about okay, what is our three year future? As Spielman has always said, I'm always thinking three years ahead. Well, then you go into this draft thinking three years ahead. <laughs> but if you're left. but if you have one year left on your contract. Yes. Then I think you trade up and you take Jonah Williams from Alabama and you stick him at left tackle, move Reef to left guard, and you go from there because Williams is the best offensive lineman in the draft. And if you want to change the shape of your offensive line like Indianapolis did last year, you got to pick somebody high. You can't be picking somebody at 18 and think, okay, you're going to just change our franchise. Well, very unlikely in the middle of the first round in the first year. Usually now after development, you might have a great player, but if you're going to get and do you still try and trade for Josh then? Rosen? Or oh, do you? yeah. I mean, I don't, that, know, I don't know how you could work both. That one yeah. does intrigue me. But, again, I don't, I don't know that Rick I, – I think Rick is going to say all my eggs going in the last year of, of the contract are in the Kirk Cousins basket. The other option that I might do, because I just – if you're in the last year of your contract, you're like, we got to win now. Forget whatever. Yeah. We just got to win this year. Then I might say, 
draft the best skill position player, draft the tight end, draft the wide receiver, because we know our line's not going to be great in 2019. Even if we draft the best guard right there. I see what you're saying, but you're inviting complete disaster. Yeah, and I well, no, and, I think you're. I think you're I trading up for a left tackle makes way more sense. Oh, it does. But that's the one. I, that I don't sense. think that a guard or tackle that they draft in 2019 is the game changer. Now he could be good, but usually it takes a couple years of development to adjust. It's a huge difference. You're talking about the kid like Andre Dillard from Washington, yeah. where they catch the ball and throw it in one and a half seconds oh, yeah, at no. most. Like, you're no, talking you'd, about, have to, you'd have to get way up. Yeah, so you're talking about that kid adjusting to NFL? Like that, He could be great, but probably in the first year he's average at best. So if you're trying to get somebody who could be a difference maker, it's trade up. And if not, I think you just get skill and try to fill as much around as you can. Purple Daily, man, football. A lot of football. Okay, so we've got uh, the tournament going on. Yeah. We've got Gopher Talk coming up next with Judd and Danny Cunningham Danny and Manny. And Manny. Yep. Right now, we Judd have Danny Cincinnati, Manny. who is leading by four points on Iowa. Good game there, 59-54. Go, Oklahoma. Fran. Get upset. Oklahoma with a 45, oh, the, yeah, 60-45 to 45 lead over Ole Miss. Ooh. And uh, Northern Kentucky Norse, there's a name for you, Minnesotans. Uh, Northern Kentucky is trailing Texas Tech, 17-13. So that's what's going on right now. We are broadcasting today on Score North from Allianz Field, the Minnesota United's Brew Hall and Team Store opening today. So that's where we're at in the Brew Hall. You just walk in, go to the left, and you find it. It's right here, and they're open. Open to the public today until 7 o'clock. Lots of people in here watching basketball. It's pretty awesome. So stop by for some March Madness action as well as a huge selection of beers on tap, food items as well, which I am going to sample before Score North Live. So Enjoy. Uh, I hate you. you Bye. Got, well, <laughs> you'll get your time. You'll get your time. All right. So keep it here. And if you get a chance, come down to Allianz Field. Say hello. We'll be back. It'll be Gopher Talk here on Score North. This holiday, whether you're making a Fred Meyer Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Fred Meyer has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Already? I'll be right there. It's happening. Take I-5 South. You are on the fastest route. Mom says, OMG, I'll let everyone know. You have arrived. Honey, I'm, I'm right here. She's doing great. We're almost there. She's perfect. Hey, baby girl. The whole world can't wait to meet you. Live larger with more coverage. Share your news, big and small, on AT&T, the network that now covers more than 99% of Oregonians. Visit your AT&T store to learn more. Coverage isn't available everywhere based on third-party data. 